We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Timberwolves 107, Brooklyn Nets 112 on the night in Brooklyn. So you can chalk up another one into the moral victory category there, which is a big pile at this point. But I think, you know, you could put this one kind of at the top of the moral victory pile. I, don't, I actually think it was important that they found a way to avoid another 25-point blowout. I mean, it was... They came into the game on a low note out of that Houston series. And to compete against Brooklyn, I don't know, maybe that's not a high bar, but they did. And I, I do think it was important because for five games since that, you know, legitimately impressive win in Phoenix that feels like a while ago now, you know, the, the following five games have been bad. You know, it was, they lost that rematch against the Suns. They lost to the Oklahoma City Thunders G League team. Then they got blown out by the Mavs. And, you know, they had that fumble recovery of a win against the Rockets. And then they lost to the Rockets. So it wasn't so much that the Wolves were losing too much over those five games. I mean, they went 1-4. That's kind of what they do. I think a big problem in those five games was that Anthony Edwards really kind of had felt like he had begun to sort of plummet down. And in those five games, you know, the ant flashes that we kind of started be becoming accustomed to, you know, they'd been a little fewer and further between and the numbers had really dipped. They'd been bad as ever. He was shooting under 40% from two in those five games and under 30% from three. And tonight it was better. It wasn't, it wasn't a breakout, but Edwards at least definitely flashed in this game. And most encouragingly, he, he flashed at the end of the game. He flashed hot. I mean, down by five, 
with a minute left. He grabbed a massive offensive rebound and put it back up to cut the lead to three. On the very next defensive possession, he ripped Bruce Brown, went down the court, got an and one. And on the next defensive possession after that, he secured a rebound while he was falling out of bounds. And those were three big plays. They were plays that star players who take over games late make. I asked Chris Finch after the game about that kind of extra gear we saw from Edwards. Coach Ant had that offensive rebound there, then then the steal and, and the save. And it's it's kind of feels like an, an extra gear that he's he's able to go to at some times. What is what is the power of that gear that he has? Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know that's the special part about him. You know, we just it's how do we unlock it more? And I think the answer is he needs to unlock it within himself. I mean, you can see how when he starts it starts attacking, and even if it doesn't work out, and then he goes again, and then and then he gets a foul call, and maybe another one, and so it's now he starts feeding his own confidence, which is which is what you want. Confidence didn't start getting fed until that late run. I mean, Edwards didn't do those other things tonight that Finch is talking about. And did settle for a lot of threes, and he missed all seven of the threes he took. The overall effectiveness wasn't there, but I do think there's an element to Anthony Edwards where when he he does have a game where he hits that extra gear, that there is an increased likelihood of kind of that energy carrying over. Edwards is the type of person where positive energy seems to to linger. You know, does that mean he'll surely have a productive performance against the Knicks on Wednesday? No, not for sure. But I do think it increases the likelihood of it happening. And I do think that's important because I think it's important that Edwards is in a rhythm when D'Angelo Russell returns. I mean, the, the re-inclusion of D'Lo is already going to be, you know, tricky to some extent just due to the fact that Russell is now re-entering a team where not only Ant but Cat are operating at a much higher volume than they were before. You know, that meshing of, with D'Lo becomes less bumpy if Edwards can, you know, kind of right away present himself as the person, you know, we, we hope he can be. That reintegr reintegration is coming shortly. You know, D'Lo will be back, it seems, in less than a week or so. But anyways, back to the end of that game. After that mini burst from Edwards, the Wolves found themselves down by three with the ball with 14 seconds left on the clock. And it was a chance for the Timberwolves to execute, you know, late in a game. Something they almost never did at the beginning of the season under Saunders. It was, it was a chance for Finch. It was a chance to draw up an action for a real shot that looked like an actual end-of-game action to, to tie the game. Unfortunately... The result of that play did end up looking a lot like the late game stuff that we saw earlier in the season under Saunders. The execution of what ended up being kind of a pump fake leaning three by Malik Beasley, it looked awkward. It, it, it felt like the end of a game we'd seen before. You know, maybe, I don't know, for, for me as I watched that and after the game, you know, it, maybe it's because it came off awkward, but it, it looked to me like that might not have been what Finch drew up. So, I did ask Cat after the game if it was what they were looking for, and Cat actually explained that the play was drawn up for Malik. Hey, Carl, I wanted to ask you about that. I guess it wasn't the last play, but when there was 14 seconds left, you guys got that shot from Malik that looked like maybe the secondary action off of that. What, what were you looking for on, on that play? Where was it, a three-point game? 
It was a three-point game. And the league took that three of the break. The league took it, right? Yeah. Um, what did we run? Um, oh, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about, man. I'm sorry. I got to – I'm rewinding my mind and thinking about other stuff. But, um, yeah, we uh, – it actually – it was actually formally. <laughs> so, it was actually not a secondary action. Um we actually thought the first on the first screen they would leave Jaden McDaniels open in the on the UCLA cut to the corner. Um, obviously that didn't happen. So then Ant came to get me. I got went around and got bees. That was actually really where the play was supposed to go. Um, he got the ball. He shot it. And then we just we we had some offense. We had some rebound opportunity, and then obviously it didn't work out. Right, right. Just, just clarifying what the what that play was because it, it kind of looked like he pumped there at the end, and I didn't know if it was going to you up the top or to him above no, the back. No, okay. no, no. Uh, they, uh, I talked to Joe Harris right after the play. It was like good defense because they they did it right. They played a box of one on me, and they made sure I wasn't going to get the ball at any point. And in their huddle, he told me that they were very adamant about don't let me shoot the ball, let anyone else shoot it. So uh, it kind of worked out for us because our offense was meant for someone else to shoot it. So it was pretty. It was pretty uh, heads-up play by a coach. I think two things about that are interesting. One, just that the play was, in fact, for Beasley. But two, that it just, just almost feels like we're at this point where it's been deemed impossible for the Wolves to get Cat a shot in those spots. I mean, didn't Cat almost sound resigned to the fact that, like, huh, yeah, they're going to do everything they can to take me away, so it almost makes sense that coach would even drop a play for somebody else and I suppose that's true you know if they they put a box of one on cat and they took it away they're gonna double it I mean you do kind of have to go to someone else in that spot and to again bring it back to D'Lo you know I, I started thinking about what it would have been like if D'Lo was out there in this game you know I think that's a different calculus for Steve Nash and the Nets if if DeAndre Russell's on the floor I mean that either they either give Russell more attention and that thus frees up Cat, or they still try and take away Cat. And and now, you know, you, you, you have the option of going through D'Lo. Because in that scenario, down three, D'Lo is a pretty good option. You know, D'Lo can catch in that situation and either isolate or get a screen for a pull-up three. And when you're down by three, that's just a lot better of an option than what the Wolves currently have, right? Now, Beasley might be a better overall shooter by percentage from three, but we've, we've seen Beasley in these scenarios multiple times. He isn't a, you know, a catch, make a move, and, and pull up from three. It's basically, if it's not a clean catch and shoot, it's going to be one of those leaners. And those leaners are not going in at his 41%. You know, those leaners are not going to go in at the same rate that you know a D'Lo pull-up would the the down three spot is just kind of the perfect place for D'Lo to get the look at an end of the game I mean that is that is where his cachet you know lives you know if you're down by two then maybe you you try and let Ant attack in that situation you're trying to get to the free throw line but down three if you feel like you can you can't run it through Cat as apparently Finch felt who didn't even draw the playoff for him then D'Lo would be your best option there if nothing else, you know, just over these final 20 or so games where Russell's back, I, I would hope the Timberwolves do get a handful of these late-game situations so as to kind of, you know, process 
game out what the you know who the best player is to to run through here if it's a two-point game a one-point game a three-point game if you have the lead you know it's not given that cat's a center the obvious answer in those spots is not just giving him the ball what now if you could sure but we've watched cat at the end of games long enough to know that that just isn't always the option and you have to kind of put the ball in a creator's hands all right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we do get back, I want to talk um, about what we saw tonight from Jaden McDaniels on James Harden because I think it was legitimately impressive. And then also, um, I hope we aren't getting to the end of the Jalen Noel minutes, but if Noel starts getting pinched in the rotation, I do want to just kind of kind of hit on how, how good Noel has been taking advantage of this opportunity. So a quick break, and we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? Pausing the pod to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Podcasts. If you're looking to start a show, I can tell you from my experience that there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everybody the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level, to get it out there. If you don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discourse, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, We'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. The best part is you can get this all for just $15 a month. That is the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen to me talk about the Wolves, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in the episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com. Dot com slash All right, let's talk a little bit about Jaden McDaniels. McDaniels had 13 points, seven boards, and four assists tonight, including a big floater at the end of the game. He also made three of his five three-point looks tonight. Since he moved into the starting lineup four games ago now, McDaniels has shot 60% from two and 57% from three. Not exactly high volume, but I mean he's he's been a he's been a shot maker. Impressively, though, I mean, I, I would say the offensive side of the ball hasn't even been where McDaniels has stood out most. I mean, he has been more impactful on the defensive side. You know, his his four block shots tonight, if you're looking at the stat sheet, those pop. But McDaniels' real value came in slowing down James Harden on the ball, which, again, if you're looking at the stat sheet, that sounds crazy. Harden had 38 points and a triple-double. But, but if you did watch the game, I mean, you saw – the possessions that there were there were plenty of possessions where McDaniels made it tough on Harden. It was an inefficient triple double from Harden. Harden made four of his eight threes, but he was only seven of seventeen from two, and McDaniels played a big role in that. The, the most encouraging element here is that this type of you know ball containment that McDaniels has shown or that he showed tonight, it hasn't been a flash in the pan. You know, earlier in the season, you know, we were getting excited about what McDaniels was doing, contesting shots, you know, getting blocks at a high level. But but at the beginning of the year, that was mostly just in guarding other fours, you know, coming over for some help defense. But with Josh Okoge now in the health and safety protocols, Finch has put McDaniels in that Okoge role defensively on the ball. And McDaniels took Luka Doncic in, in in that matchup last week, which was, which was McDaniels' first start, the first start of these four games. And Luka only had 15 points in that game. 
and four assists. It was a quiet night. Luka was 6 of 16 from the field. McDaniels also found himself on John Wall a lot in that Rockets series. And those are, I mean, those are quote-unquote point guards, or, but they're, they're big physical guards, you know, wings that you wouldn't think a skinny rookie would be able to handle at all. But McDaniels has been able to. I mean, Britt and I both asked Jaden after the game, just how does he do that? <laughs> how does he do that at 185 pounds when there have been so many matchups this season where he's been checking a player who, you know, might weigh 40, 50 more pounds than he does? Here's what McDaniels had to say. Jane, one of the most important parts of your defense seems to be that you don't let the guy you're guarding get into you. Um, when you're following him along, when you're, you know, he's dribble penetrating or whatever, or even just standing up. I'm wondering, was that a purposeful thing that you've taken time to learn? Is that natural? Uh, it seems like you like to run parallel next to people and you seem to have a knack for not letting a guy get into your body. Uh, kind of just knowing that like using my length is going to help me a lot. And this it's kind of letting the guy think that he's ahead of me, even though knowing like my arms two times as long, like they can get there. So kind of just, and then also knowing, like, if those dudes get to my body, they're super good and, like, no different things, like, trying to get me under the rim so I'm not able to block it. So just kind of a little bit of both. Dane, go ahead. Hey, my question was similar to that. And, and I was thinking of back in the game when you guarded Zion, and obviously he, he, he weighs more than you, but it seems like in some of those, some of those matchups, you, you weren't necessarily giving as much space to those guys just in a post-up as the weight you know, discrepancy might, you know, might suggest. Is that just something being a skinnier dude your whole life, you kind of pick up like the tactic of, of how to kind of handle that? Yeah, I would say that just because not always being the biggest or strongest, like it's going through like things like AAU college. So kind of learning, picking up different things is just like sometimes you got to play back and just use my length. Like, shoot, if I didn't have the length, man, it would be, I feel like it would be twice as hard, but you know, guys gifts me with those things, so just taking advantage of them. It's extremely critical in the Timberwolves' defense for, for the ball to be effectively contained, like McDaniels has been doing. I mean, Cat is a big body on the back line, but he isn't a shot eraser. You know, if opposing wings are barreling down at Cat, Cat isn't going to be able to just erase that advantage in the ways a Rudy Gobert or a Joel Embiid might be able to do. And because of that, it's really important that a Kogi or McDaniels can at least slow down that pursuit of the rim by the ball handler. I mean, we've seen, we've seen this defensive value right over the past couple of years from a Kogi. A Kogi, obviously, the, the thing that stands out is that big hardened block a couple of years ago. But a Kogi, a Kogi's been really good on ball. There's a lot of defensive value in that. The problem with a Kogi is he gives back so much of that value on the offensive end by just not being able to knock down threes. I mean, McDaniels is what we want from Akogi. It's what we want Akogi to have been. But Akogi's only made 27% of his 435 threes in his career, and he's down to only making 23% of his threes this year. McDaniels has shot 113 threes. Now that's a sizable sample, and he's made 37% of them. That is what the Wolves need the future of the small forward position to be. And yeah, I mean, if he's going to be handling perimeter duties, it, not that he can't play the four, it just, if you're putting him on the wing, you're shifting someone else onto that back line or onto a, onto a bigger body. McDaniels is a solid makeshift four, but but eventually that shift, you know, 
that puts you in a bad spot. I just think, I think these four, these four games that we've seen since McDaniels has started, even though he's technically starting at the four, I think they are an indication that he is a small forward going forward. The last thing I want to hit on here is Jalen Noel. Um, he's the one real you know rotation question mark I have going forward once Delo's back. I mean, as good as Noel's been. I think a numbers game is approaching where, you know, Russell comes back and then Akogi comes back and there is a real pinch for wing minutes. Even if Akogi is taken completely out of the rotation, like Lehman and Vanderbilt have been, you know, that 30 plus minutes a night for D'Lo is going to eat into those guard wing minutes because now, now you have Rubio moving into a backup role and I think we all assume Rubio is going to play. And D'Lo also, you know, or Noel is proving that he is he is kind of a similar archetype of a guard to D'Lo, right? I mean, it's been 30 games now from Noel, and we've we've seen what he's about. You know, he's he's made the most of this opportunity by being an efficient, fairly high volume shooter. On the year on, good volume, Noel's made 36% of his threes and 53% of his twos. But the reason I say it's a similar stylistic mold to D'Lo is that Noel has shown that a lot of his value comes from the mid-range. That's where he likes to pull up. And Noel has made 53% of his 97 two-point shots that have not come at the rim. So from that short mid-range or that deeper mid-range area. And if you go to cleaning the glass, um, only five players in the league have shot more mid-range shots than Noel and made them at a higher clip than Noel has. Two of them are Robin Lopez and Rashawn Holmes, who only qualify because they take long hook shots. So I would scratch those off. So really, it's only three players in the league who have shot more mid-range shots and are making them at a higher volume. And that's TJ McConnell, Kyrie Irving, and Nikola Jokic. Those are, I mean, it's a pretty elite group I mean 53% is no joke from that range and I, I thought it was interesting you know coming in tonight playing Kyrie that really you know that's kind of the archetype too I, I asked Noel before the game about about being in that elite you know mid-range company and especially being there with Kyrie Jalen um you've taken like 100 mid-range jump shots this year and made 53% of them why do you feel that this season you and this team as a whole kind of has you know more more freedom to take those shots when, when last year you know it felt like such a thing you know the down to the shot values on the floor and everything is does it feel like there's a little bit for you and for the team as a whole a little bit less restrictive in that area yeah i think so but i'm not gonna lie i had to earn that for sure it actually took a long time for for me to actually get that that type of credit so the fact that it's happening right now i'm, I'm thankful for that but um, you know, I really think, you know, last year coming in, like I said, um, nobody really knew that, that I, that I had that part of my game. And so, you know, I wasn't able to shoot that, but now that I've proven that it's, uh, it, it's an efficient shot. Um, you know, I think that they're letting me and other guys who are proven that can make it as well, take that shot consistently. And then you're playing Brooklyn tonight and, and Kyrie, and if you just kind of look at the shooting percentages type things, I mean, that's a big part of his game. He also makes kind of a, a similar amount of shots in that area is, 
I know a lot of times players don't like to compare themselves to others, but is that like, do you see that as a, as a similar type of player to you as like an archetype of a ball handler who can also create kind of from all three levels, you and Kyrie? Yeah, definitely. He's, he's somebody who I watch consistently. Um, you guys notice I, I do wear a lot of his shoes almost every game. So, I mean, you know, it's definitely some a guy who, you know, I've been influenced by watching just growing up. And, um, you know, it's going to be fun to go out there and compete against him. Again, I think Noel's done everything he could to earn himself a role going forward. You know, even after these other guys come back, you know, Noel hit two big threes again tonight, and he led the team in bench scoring again. I mean, I wonder, I should look this up, but of the, you know, 30 games he's come off the bench, I would imagine half of those games he's been the leading scorer off the bench. And I think he, it's important that he stays in a, a, a fairly sizable, you know, bench role. I think we do assume, right, that the starting lineup is going to be, once they're back at full strength, it'll be Towns at the five, McDaniels at the four, Edwards at the three, Beasley at the two, Russell at the point. And then I think, you know, that leaves kind of three at most guard slash wing spots available with, you know, Nas as the backup five and Wancho as the backup four. And, you know, the, the candidates for those three spots are Rubio, who I think we'll see for sure as the backup point guard. And then for one or maybe two more spots, it's a Kogi, Culver, and Noel. If it's a nine-man rotation, only one of those guys can play. Two if Finch goes with ten. Tonight, you know, for some reason, Culver was back in the rotation. He's been back in the rotation for the past two games. And, you know, you... You can make a case for a Kogi, given his defense, to you know maybe infringe on some of those Noel minutes, but um, I, it's just I think we're at the point where it's just going to kind of be a bummer if if Culver's development is prioritized over Noel's for these for these last twenty five games of the year. I mean, at this point, it's it's pretty clear that Noel is the best guard that they drafted in that twenty nineteen draft. That's all I got for you tonight. Um, the Wolves are back home Wednesday against Tibbs and the Knicks. Can't wait for that uh, Tibbs tribute video at Target Center. And then it is the Grizzlies on Friday night on the road, Sixers on Saturday on the road as well. Um, whatever, you know, boost <laughs> a moral victory gives you, you know, tonight in, in Brooklyn, you know, the Wolves are going to need it. The Knicks are no joke. They're, they're the damn four seed right now in the East. And then, We've already seen the Wolves get kind of bullied by the Grizzlies and the Sixers earlier this year. It's they're gonna have to show something because, I mean, none of none of these games are easy. None of these they're not gonna get handed any wins. Their their easy part of the schedule was the the Thunder, and the Rockets and and those games. I'll be back to talk to you about the Knicks game on Wednesday night, and I'll also be doing uh, one of my locker room app Q and As at five p.m. Central on Tuesday night. So. Hop in there if you have some questions. Um, otherwise, I'll talk to you on Sunday. Or on Sunday, on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.